So I want to be sharing with you today <clears throat> about um, the steadfast love, <clears throat> the steadfast love of the Lord, because it endures forever. So as uh, we want to look at Ephesians chapter three, as we're doing that. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul gives um, one of the reasons that he's writing to the church at Ephesus. And he's writing about the... Thank you, sir. He's writing about um, part of the blessing and part of the privilege that he has as an apostle of Christ in sharing the mystery of God with the Gentiles. And he says, because of that, um, he is amazed because God is allowing him to share part of the mystery that has been hidden for the ages until that particular time. And that was that the gospel was available for everybody, not just Jews, not just people from Israel. Um, it's open to everyone because of the grace and mercy of God expressed through his steadfast love poured out through his son who died on the cross for us. And so it's because of that that um, Paul is writing from prison. And he says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family, or literally fatherhood, in heaven on earth is named. So he says, you know, uh, Jesus taught us to pray. When we come before the Lord, he taught us to pray, Our Father. And so he, he's telling us that God is looking out on us as his children, people who uh, not only have been created by him, but now through the blood of Christ have been redeemed by him. And so there's a difference between being a creature or a creation of God, created in God's image, and entering into a deeper, closer relationship of having him as our father in the sense that uh, we have been born again. This is what the second birth is all about, or the new birth that Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about. He told Nicodemus, as an old man, you have to be born again, because now you're born of the Spirit and not just of the flesh. So we can be born in the flesh and be a creation of God, but He invites us to be born of the Spirit and be part of God's family. And so He's the family. Um, he does this for a reason, because God has revealed himself in the persons of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in terms of family. And so he is the fatherhood in heaven and in earth because before God ever created a family on the earth, the family already existed in heaven, relationships among the Trinity. And so this is why our homes, our families are so important this is why the marriage relationship and that bond is such an integral part of creating a society or a culture or a civilization. And I believe this is one of the reasons why our families are under such an attack these days with people not knowing who they are or understanding their own sexuality or understanding um, they don't have any desire to have strong, long-term commitments and these are there because it's, a, it's an attack upon the very f nature of individuals coming to Christ 
and then together corporately in families and homes. And our homes should be reflecting um, the peace, the security, uh, the hospitality, the warmth that exists between God the Father, God the Son. And so Paul says, I bow the knees to my heavenly Father, the author of all families, all fatherhood in heaven and on earth. Um, It's one thing to create a baby. It's another thing to have a family. Those are two very, very different things. And so he's inviting us into the family. And he's praying that God the Father, according to the riches of his glory, may grant to us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So we talked the other day just briefly in passing about the the word for glory in the scriptures originally carries with it a connotation of weight, heaviness. And so the glory of God, um, it carries weight. It's responsibility and accountability. And Paul is praying for the Ephesians that they might be strengthened with might. In other words, literally, um, to have power to become mighty through the Holy Spirit in our inner beings so that we will begin to understand and experience part of the weight of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we um, many times are shallow in our walk with God because we're not strong enough to receive it. And so Paul is praying for the church. He's praying, I'm praying for you to be strengthened in the inner man, in the inner being, in your inner person, deep down in your depths to understand partly the love of God which endures forever. And so he's praying for us to grow, to strengthen, to become strong inwardly so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So when Christ is there, he is the embodiment in the person of the Godhead. And so he says that we being rooted and grounded in love. So this is the steadfast love of God, which is eternal, which he has expressed and given to us through the person of his Son. And he says that is bedrock for us. That's where the seed of God deep down in our inner being is planted and grows and begins to produce fruit. So, so we being rooted and grounded in the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ, in our hearts, that Christ may dwell there, live there, not an occasional visitor. And some of us think that God's like that, you know. Well, we go to church so we can visit Jesus. Well, uh, hopefully he's already here. Hopefully he's with you before you get here and that he'll be with you when you leave because the Christian life is not about buildings, is it? It's about personal relationship with him. And so if he dwells, if he lives within us, that's where the strengthening comes from. It's not from us by our efforts. It's the presence of the Lord expanding, imparting, um, challenging us, stretching us, Uh, to help us grow so that we can receive more of him so that the riches of God's glory can be evident in our lives, in our daily living. So Paul says, 
if we're rooted and grounded in the love of Christ by Him dwelling in our hearts, He's praying that we may have strength, here it is again, to comprehend with all the saints the dimensions of God's love. Now this word that He's using here, um, what it means is so that we might be able to take possession of it says comprehend, but for us, in, the, in this country, we see the word comprehend and we think about knowledge, understanding. Well, it's that, but it's so much more. It goes way beyond that. He, the word actually means to apprehend it. To apprehend it means to make it a part of yourself, to take possession of, to seize it for yourself. And he's praying that God would strengthen us so that we can reach out and take hold of the love of God. Many of our insecurities, our fears, and our confusions come because we've never fully understood the love of God, the steadfast, faithful love of God that endures forever. If we understood how much God loved us, our faith would grow, our peace would surely grow. And the security and the hope that's within us would be there as a resource for us to draw on. And that's what those are for, really. These are resources that God has provided through His Son, His living presence within our hearts that takes us through whatever crisis, whatever calamity, whatever obstacles that we face in our daily lives. And we all face them. And some of them are huge. And sometimes we think that we're going to be overwhelmed by them. But the guys in the scripture, the men and women of, of the Bible, they were ordinary people like us. And that's what I like about how honest the scriptures are. They were frail. They didn't do things right all the time. They stumbled. They committed great sins. Um, they did horrible things. And yet God wouldn't let them go. And he kept calling them back. And the difference between the people in the scriptures and the people that we see around us is they understood the grace the mercy and the love of God that would search them out and find them. He would destroy their peace. He would convict them of sin. He would make them uncomfortable for the purpose of them coming to the end of themselves so that they would come to know Him in His fullness. So we need strength, don't we? We need strength to be able to walk through that. But as we walk through that, then we understand the abiding presence of God Almighty with us. And so Paul is praying that we can take a hold of this, not just understand it or think about it in our mind, but reach out and make it a, an integral part of our daily walk with the Lord. To wake up in the morning and no matter how we feel or what the day holds, the threats that it might have or the fears that are around us, to know God is with us. And his love is a source that never, ever ends. And so he continues in his prayer. He's praying that they have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Now the saints are not just those who've passed on. You look around each other, these are the saints. That's, that's you. Uh, throughout church history, we've, we've, uh, we've made a mistake in saying that a saint is somebody who is above and beyond the rest of us normal people with feet of clay. But they aren't. Uh, they're just people who have found this and lived it out, and we can see the results in their lives. 
And what Paul is saying is that shouldn't be extraordinary. That should be business as usual for us. That should be the normal Christian life for us. To walk in that kind of strength, that kind of hope, that kind of fruitfulness. And so the fruit of the Spirit, you know, uh, it's not about numbers. The fruit of the Spirit is about what's going on inside our heart. Because what goes on inside of us, it's going to come out through our mouth. It's going to be visible through how we see people, how we see ourselves, how we view situations in crisis. And from the worldly viewpoint, the major distinction between Christian and non-Christian is how they respond. From a worldly viewpoint. Because all they do is they see what's going on in our lives. If we respond the way the world responds, nothing. No witness, nothing. Matter of fact, it can be detrimental. It could drive people away. But if they see that fruit in our lives, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering endurance, the patience, the goodness, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control, when they see that, that's where the testimony is. That's where people begin to see Christ and begin to understand. And if we're living that kind of life, it becomes an easy thing to witness because your whole life is a witness and people will come up to you and ask you about it. So Peter writes to the church and he says, be ready, you better be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within you because if we are consistently living it out, people are going to be asking you have peace in this situation. Why? You have hope in this hopeless situation. Where does that hope come from? Because we learned in Africa, many, many times, people die from lack of hope. Nothing wrong with them. But they die from lack of hope. And so they are looking. And that's one of the reasons that they are open and so responsive to the gospel because they are looking for hope. So Paul says, strengthen inside so that Christ may dwell in you, rooted and grounded in the awareness of his love that never fails, steadfast, abiding forever. Built on that so that you have strength to take to yourself with the other saints the breadth, the length, the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. These are the dimensions of God's love. Height, breadth, length, depth. You find them again in Revelations 21 in their description of the new Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God coming out of heaven. And if Christ is living in your heart, you've got one of those rooms already there. One of those rooms in the New Jerusalem is already built in your heart if Christ is dwelling there. And so when you go to the New Jerusalem, you're home. Really home. The place where you live. The place where you can be yourself. The place where you're comfortable. The place where your family and loved ones are. They're there. Because that is your true home. And it begins here he's writing to the church and he's saying this is the reality of our relationship with Christ 
And so it's like the new Jerusalem in our hearts and in our lives. And it says that there in the new Jerusalem, there's no temple. There's no temple there because the Lord is the temple. And so Paul writes to the church and he says, you are the temple of the living God. Do you get that? You are the temple of the living God. And his life, he imparts to us, gets better. Not only the dimensions of God's love, but to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How are we going to know that? He's asking us to be strengthened so that we can know a love that's unknowable. But God in his grace and in his love reveals it to us. It's not by our efforts, not by our intelligence or any of that stuff or some of us would be left out. (laughs) It's not about intelligence. It's about relationship. And he's saying that this love, the only way you can know it is to experience it and to live it. It's the only way you'll ever know. So he's praying for our strength so that we might be able to receive that kind of love. So that you might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and may be filled with all the fullness of God. What an incredible statement. To be filled with all the fullness of God. If you read in Colossians 1, he says that all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in bodily form in Jesus Christ. Guess what? If Jesus lives in your heart, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form in you because of the presence of Jesus Christ. That's why we need to be strengthened. That's why we need to be stretched How can us who are infinite contain the fullness of the deity, the fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So I think that's part of what heaven is. It's a time of growing in our relationship and walk with the Lord, ever expanding, ever growing, never coming to an end because there's more of the steadfast love of God which never ends. And that's what he invites us to participate in. It's not something you read about or talk about or think about. It's something you live. And the invitation for you and for me this morning, open your heart. Open your inner being where you really live with all the junk that's there and let the Holy God come in and through the blood of Christ cleanse us and make us whole so that we can receive the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives and be filled with all the fullness of the Godhead in your body and mind because we are the temple of the living God because Christ lives within us. And he invites us to open up the inner doors, you know, the ugly ones where all the, the, the garbage and trash is that nobody knows about, things that we don't talk about and only think about when uh, we have nightmares or, or we're under great temptation. You know, then, the, then they become very active and very powerful. He's inviting us to open those doors up, creating more space for the Lord Jesus Christ, getting rid of all the selfishness and the self-centeredness, And beginning to look at each other the way that God looks at us. With love, compassion, faithfulness. 
And that's what he invites us to live. It's an incredible thing. So, we go back to where we began this morning in Psalm 136. And I invite you, as you go through the day and as you think about things and as you see things, to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Why? His steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Father, you are a God of steadfast love. We don't even understand what that means, the depth of it, the breadth, the width, the height. But you want us to know. More than that, you want us to experience that, to allow your presence in our lives to fill up all the emptiness and all the loneliness and all the hurt and to take all of that as you've done so often through the cross of Christ and replace it with life and joy and peace. Father, we pray that you would create a hunger within us so that you might come into our hearts in a new and fresh way. Even those of us who've walked with you for a long time, there's so much more than we've ever begun to imagine our hope that you have for us. Stretch us, expand us, open our hearts that we might know you in all of your fullness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In our church, uh, for those who are visiting, we have communion every Sunday. It's a good reminder for us. It's a... um, a time of remembering that Christ died for us and he rose again because in uh, Protestant churches, cross is empty. He's not there. But it's a reminder of what he did for us, uh, what he has gone through for you and for me. And so it's a reminder that it's because of our sin that he had to come to start with. And it's because of our sin and because of the love of God that was greater than our sin that Jesus died and rose again. And invites us to enter into that peace, that cleansing, that fullness. So it's a a time of confession and repentance as we come. It's a time of praise and thanksgiving to God for what he has done for us. It's a time to celebrate the victory that he's given to us as well. And so you've got all these different things that are going on here. Um, Our church believes in open communion. That's because Jesus died for sinners. And that's all of us. Uh, And so all all are welcome here. And of those 12 men in the upper room, one betrayed him, one denied him, they all ran, every one of them. And so it's for those people, people like them, people like you and me, that he invites us to come and partake of this supper. And so um, if you're visiting here, you are welcome to come. Please feel at home. We don't want anybody to feel pressured. Don't feel like you have to. You know, this is between you and God. And if you're comfortable and would like to participate, you are more than welcome. And uh, uh, you'll just be with the rest of us sinners. So that's who we are, sinners saved by grace, uh, filled with the presence and the love of Christ. And we invite you to participate with us. Um, Also, we don't take an offering. So this is our tithes and offerings. We put them here. So if you want to put something in, you can. If you don't have it, the supper's free. It's been bought by the blood of Christ. So that's what these are for, tithes and offerings. And um, we'll, usually we'll have someone over here to the right, um, your right, my left, um, that will pray with you if you have anything that you would like to pray about. Um, 
something on your heart or something that you'd just like someone to pray with you, they are there for you if you want to use them. So that's, that's what we're doing here. One of the things about the 1 John, talking about the love of Christ, 1 John chapter 3. John's an old man now, and he's writing to the church, and he's reminding them, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Now we are the children of God and we are looking for the Lord's coming. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. So what God is doing through this stretching that we've been talking about, this strengthening us to be able to understand the fullness of God, is He is changing us, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, on a daily basis, more and more, we are becoming like Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing within us, changing us, transforming us from what we are to what He's created us to be, the fullness of God in the flesh. So John says, we're not there yet. We are the children of God. And we are on that road and God is changing us. When He appears, when Jesus comes back, we will see Him as He is. And the good news is, we will be like Him. We will see the family resemblance. So that's possible because on the night that He was betrayed... Jesus took bread and after he had given thanks he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying take, eat this is my body it's broken for you after supper he took the cup and after he had given thanks he gave it to his disciples saying take all of you drink from this cup this cup is a new covenant in my blood a new testament in my blood it's shed for you and for many it's for the forgiveness of sins and so as we drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection and coming again. And it's an offer to participate in the very life of Christ himself. So will those serving communion please come forward?